Welcome to the Real Talk Education Podcast, where we dive into the real topics facing real teachers, leaders, and students with your host, Marlena Gross, EEI champion, national ed thought leader, and founder of EduGladiators. Each week, we will discuss the topics that might be keeping you up at night as an educator or parent. This is not an echo chamber podcast. We will unapologetically examine the real challenges in education, plus provide insights and tips to help you navigate all the things, including curriculum, leadership, DEI, student engagement, advocacy, misinformation, and more. Pop in your earbuds or crank up your speaker because it's time to have some real talk about today's topic. Welcome back, friends, to the Real Talk Education Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Marlena Gross. And if you are a DEI ally, our co-conspirator, lean in today. Lean in because this episode is for you and it's not about you. Well, for the entire month of October, we have been exploring how to be unapologetically DEI on both the podcast and in our weekly EduGladiators Twitter chat. And in this episode, we will close the series loop, for now anyway, and have some real talk about how to be a true DEI ally, decentering discomfort to move from awareness rhetoric to visible action to create safe and inclusive schools for our diverse students, teachers, and leaders. So let's jump right in. Allies are a critical piece for moving the needle of making our schools for students and staff more diverse, more equitable, and more inclusive. However, when faced with action steps, that includes addressing one's own biases and microaggressions and even discriminatory behavior, our DEI allies can quickly revert to problematic responses to their fragility. So why does this happen? I mean, after all, in the U.S., businesses spend approximately $8 billion a year on DEI and or inclusion training that, according to the Harvard Business Review, usually backfires because most of these trainings are episodic at best and they fail to truly address a critical factor, unconscious bias. So you might recall in episode two of Real Talk Education, I share that unconscious bias training is a critical step in acknowledging unconscious bias and systemic racism in the workplace. However, an insidious aspect of this type of training is simply learning about unconscious biases does not necessarily make us better at recognizing it in ourselves. Actually, Harvard Business School says that this type of training only makes us slightly better at recognizing instances of unconscious bias and racism in our peers or colleagues, but this phenomenon is actually more pronounced the more prejudiced a person actually is. So for instance, if a person who comes into uh, DEI or inclusion or unconscious bias training 
um, if that person comes into that training with the most prejudiced views, they are actually the most likely to leave thinking they are even more unprejudiced, more inclusive than they actually are. In fact, the Harvard Business Review says that these folks pulled their moral licensing card to defend even the notion of their bias and even possible discriminatory actions or microaggressions. So is DEI training really the next steps that we need to take? Can it truly address unconscious bias as a solid strategy to help create a more inclusive space for students and for staff, particularly in our schools or in our district? Well, the answer is actually yes. And the training is a first step, but it cannot be the only step that you as an educator or your school or district takes. If you want to move away from awareness to action, it's important that these types of trainings are ongoing and they end in operationalizing anti-bias action because the reality is we all have biases and our DEI work is a journey truly without an endpoint. And if you consider yourself an ally, it's important to stay engaged in DEI work and be intentionally reflective of the biases you bring to the classroom if you're a teacher or to the office or boardroom if you're a school or district administrator. As educators, we love frameworks, right? We love graphic organizers, mind maps, you name it. We love anything that can help us simplify complex information or concepts And unconscious bias certainly falls into the category of complex information and our concepts. So prior to the pandemic, the term radical candor was developed by Kim Scott, who is the author of the book with the same title. And she is a high tech entrepreneur and organizational consultant who wrote this particular book and introduced this term. At its core, Radical Candor is an organizational approach designed to break through um, the wall of politeness, if you will, to get at the institutional issues that need to be addressed so a company or an organization can be successful. She actually sought to introduce a corporate management style that is relationship-centered and focused on transparency focus on honesty, and focus on trust building, which essentially boils down to this. And if you've read the book, you're probably familiar. Care personally and challenge directly. Well, over the last few years, the concept of radical candor, radical honesty is another uh, shoot off from this particular concept, has migrated to the K-12 education world and shedding some of its most critical features along the way. Because in fact, when Scott revised her original Radical Candor manuscript in 2019, she actually puts in the preface that Radical Candor has become a cover for too direct critique in general. 
and it results in what she calls obnoxious aggression, particularly on the part of supervisors who have yet to begin their work as allies in both anti-racist work as well as anti-feminist work or anti-gender work. So with the obnoxious, obnoxious aggression, uh, Kim Scott acknowledges that for our supervisors who haven't begun that work, they are the predominant leadership supervisors, particularly at the highest tiers of an organization, and that includes K-12 administration. She even says that the misuse of her work in radical candor can actually chip away at the psychological safety of diverse staff, and it can cripple the ability for an organization to create a productive and inclusive workplace environment. The radical candor approach in education is too often used as a tool to demand disclosures from BIPOC or diverse teachers and leaders that are to their personal, their psychological, and their professional detriment. So if you're an ally listening to this episode, you might be wondering how unconscious bias intersects with Right now, one of the most popular organizational frameworks currently being used in schools and even corporations to create productive and inclusive work environments. So let me make the connection more clear. BIPOC teachers and leaders are often invited and encouraged to, and I quote here, bring their whole self to work. Well, Many predominantly white school districts have improved their messaging and even their actions, albeit surface actions, of DEI work and commitments to create inclusive learning spaces for kids as well as for staff. But when a person of color, a BIPOC teacher and our leader are invited to bring their whole self to work, they always have to consider a few things before actually accepting the invite. They have to consider if it's dangerous personally and professionally to say what they really think about what they might experience in that particular school or district, whether it deals with sexism, racism, or any other form of oppression in the school culture. And where their balance is, with power and authority if that is held by dominant culture, which in previous episodes I've shared the data, is predominantly white male leaders. A BIPOC teacher or leader also has to consider if it's safe, especially if they are a black or a woman of color uh, educator in a predominantly white school system to point out the various biases that they may experience directly or notice among other colleagues or even the students that they support. That BIPOC woman of color would have to consider if she were, would she suffer if she were to ask her white supervisor who might be unwilling to consider his or her white identity to do just that. 
You know, it's well established that BIPOC educators experience racial battle fatigue, and I'll make sure to link that in the show notes, the research around that. These dynamics are heightened in predominantly white schools or districts that pride themselves in having inclusive work and learning environments, and even prioritizes trust building, but they have not engaged authentically or consistently in unconscious bias training to identify those unconscious barriers that are actually expected not to be crossed. Because if BIPOC teachers or leaders cross these boundaries, the result actually can invite controversy and severe consequences to that BIPOC's professional standing within the school or district. So here's another thing to consider as we talk about unconscious bias and how it intersects with radical candor and with you as an ally in this work. The vast majority of DEI work, both in schools and corporations, is actually led predominantly by black women who report to white men uh, in more senior positions in a particular organization or school district. And what's interesting to note is that the research shows that the white men that the black women are reporting to often have not truly started or continue to engage in both anti-sexist and anti-racist work. So radical candor winds up being the framework that the white male supervisors use. And it ends up being a mandate for enforced transparency, which feels intrusive, and vulnerability on the part of the BIPOC staff person who works under them, and normally that is a black woman, they're asked to share confidences of either fellow BIPOC students or colleagues, and even publicly encouraged in staff meetings to share their grief about the pain of racism as a way to activate the empathy of white colleagues and our allies before being expected to listen to and provide emotional support to white colleagues and our allies who need assurances that they are still good people, even if their actions and inactions fail to demonstrate real anti-racist commitments. So for all of my allies, lean in here. This phenomenon of white colleagues and our allies' needs, our guilt, our expectations overtaking those of BIPOC people in important discussions, particularly around diversity, is actually called white centering. So Layla Syed, who is the author of Me and White Supremacy, she explains white centering as the centering of white people, white values, white norms, white feelings over everything and everyone else. And here's the issue. White centering is based in unconscious bias, and it actually can manifest as anything ranging from tone policing, racial gaslighting, white fragility, microaggressions, and outright retaliation. So allies, if we want DEI institutional change, 
it is critical for educational leaders to understand the impact of unconscious bias and the intersection of white centering that actually discourages BIPOC voicing concerns and our reservations about their experiences in a particular organization. And that includes our schools and our districts. That discourages BIPOC from voicing their concerns around bias, um, around oppressive structures within a school or district, lest they suffer retaliation or retribution for challenging the dominant power structure. Now you combine this with the fact that BIPOC teachers and leaders are exposed to what Kim Scott calls obnoxious and, uh, and obnoxious aggressions that masquerade as radical candor. And then we have the perfect storm of conditions for a toxic workplace that's actually steeped in white supremacy. So allies, here are a few actions you can engage in to address unconscious bias and white centering in order to create both a work and learning environment that actually is inclusive. So three simple tips. The first thing you can do is embrace the spirit of radical candor, but seek out other frameworks that address the limitations of radical candor and that encourage um, building compassion necessary for challenging conversations in the workplace. Number two, get comfortable. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable because difficult conversations and maybe even unpleasant historical ahas or revelations are nothing compared to the 400 years that black educators in particular have endured without human rights. And lastly, begin and or continue your education as an ally that specifically addresses unconscious bias and white centering. Now, I know this episode was a lot of information and I would encourage you to go back and re-listen to, share, even share this with other allies that need that you feel need to hear this. And I would love to know what you think about this particular episode. So please, by all means, take a picture of the episode and Take that screenshot and tag us on social media at EduGladiators with your comments. And as always, don't forget to subscribe to the Real Talk Education podcast so you won't miss out on a new episode. With that, I'll see you next week for a new episode of Real Talk Education.